It's so good to have you all here today. Uh, I saw we have friends, Donna Gardner's here, and, and there's others uh, that we haven't seen in quite some time. And uh, it's so good to, to have you all in the house today. Uh, we also have a very special guest that uh, is near and dear to me, and uh, that is missionary and uh, pastor, really, uh, Doug Howie uh, from Romania. Doug and Camilla and Natalia uh, are serving the Lord in Rajnov, uh, Romania, which is just around the corner from Rashov up in the Transylvania area. And uh, Doug and Camilla have, uh, man, they've really, uh, they've really endured hardness as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. And if you know much about what's going on in that area, Doug has been involved, and I'll let him share his own testimony. But he's been involved with, with uh, trying to help the Ukraine situation and the saints in Ukraine while also uh, trying to get a church plant off the ground while uh, uh, not having a home and uh, being uh, displaced and being living in a little studio apartment. They've really gone through a lot the last... 12 months, and uh, he's also in town uh, today because his uh, father has a terminal cancer. So we need to be praying for Doug and Camelia. And uh, I'm so thankful that they've been able to take time and, and come down to, and just give us an update this morning. I love Doug, and uh, he's, I mean, I love Doug a lot. Doug and Camelia are, uh, I'm a little, I've, I've been so slow rolling on Doug over the years because I'm so partial. And so I was so glad when we took him on as a missionary because I didn't want to like exert my extra effort on everybody. But uh, they've, uh, we've supported them for years now. And we're so thankful for them. So Doug, if you come up, give us an update, just give us a report, uh, share your love. And we're just glad to have you. Give him an HBF welcome. See how Brian stole all my thunder. He said everything I was going to say. So love you guys. Um, so I was here a year ago. I had no idea I was going to come back this year. Uh, every time I come back to America, I want to immediately go back to Romania because that's my home. That's where my home is in heaven. But on this planet, I prefer to be in Romania. That's where God's put my heart to be. Um, we're church planning over there. Um, a year ago when I went back, I had no idea I was coming back uh, because uh, in December, my dad was diagnosed with leukemia. They gave him nine months to live. So we immediately started making plans to come back to visit him before he goes, um, which is a blessing because you don't always get to say goodbye to your loved ones, right? So my dad is not a Christian, so we're praying for the opportunity to share the gospel with him yet again. I've shared it with him many times over the years, but he's been reluctant to receive Christ as a Savior to this point. So if you pray with me for that, for my dad, I appreciate it. Um, he's 77 years old, and uh, at the moment, he's doing great. He's got no side effects. He he's, doesn't feel like he's sick. He's, he's just uh, doing well. What? Okay. Anyway, I can't understand what my wife's saying, so. <laughs> anyway, pray for my dad. He's got cancer, and we're, we're praying that he gets saved. That's, that's the bottom line on that one. Uh, so that's why we're back now. Um, but a lot has happened since we were here a year ago. Uh, we're trying to launch our church. We started it in our house uh, about eight years ago. We had a building, and you guys, a lot of you probably heard all this story before, but we had a building. We were, we were having 40 people. We'd have five to ten lost people at church every single week, and then we lost our building uh, through a bunch of different circumstances. Then we moved to our living room of our house, and then we found out culturally meeting in your house doesn't work in Romania. People think that's very cultish, very strange to meet in your house. Um, so what the blessing out of that was though, is while we meet in our house, we got to develop leadership and fellowship and our, our church became known as a place where we love Jesus and we love each other. And God has really blessed that time that we've been meeting in our house. Well, this last December, at the same time, we got the news that, that, um, 
my dad got cancer. Right about that same time, our landlord announced that, hey, we're going to raise you. We're going to almost double your rent. And uh, we can't afford that. So we said, well, um, I guess we're going to have to move. So he said, yeah, you got December 7th, you're going to have to move out. So we had to move out of our house. And we moved into a little bitty apartment right there in that, see that big tower, or the big tower here in the square. Um, we're right across the street from that in a little bitty one, one room apartment. Not one bedroom over it. One room apartment with uh, the three of us. So we're, I'm literally living out of a suitcase. My wife has got more than a suitcase, but uh, to, for me to move back, for us to come back to America on this trip, I just had to zip my suitcase closed. That's all I had to do. Really easy for me. Um, so in the middle of all that, um, our church became homeless as well, since we were meeting in our house, because we can't fit our church into our home. Um, but let me just say, there's been a lot of blessings over the last year. Camellia is the as the uh, children's director, we also partner with the church in Brashov. So our little town of Rishnov is 23,000 people. It's a booming town. They're building apartments and houses left and right. We're building a house right now so that we can, uh, hopefully when we get back, we can move into. We've been building it for three years. Um, and then our church will have a place to meet again. Um, but our church, our, our town is booming. But we also partner with the church in the town next door, which is a, a, a town of about a half a million people. Brashov is the name of that town. Camellia, my wife, is the children's director of a, of a large church there. And if you roll the, the next picture up there, she has been working with children there. And this is a, I just want to throw this picture up here. This is her, her Bible Olympic students that she trained. Um, for the first time, the church in Brashov had uh, participated in the Bible Olympics. And one of these kids was the, one of the champions, right? Uh, the Bible Olympics for the whole country. So very proud of my wife for what she did there. She's been, and also this year, she got all the kids in the church to memorize uh, the books of the Bible, which was the first time in that church that that had happened. So my wife's been very active in, in uh, training the children of the church uh, in Brashov. And then another thing that's been a blessing this year is when I went back to Romania a year ago, I began taking trips into Ukraine. And I partnered with a guy who's got a big two-and-a-half-ton van or a two-ton two van, and we load that thing up with – and I did this – there's the van um, – what I did was I wanted to set an example to my church of missions. I mean, I'm already a missionary, but I wanted to demonstrate on the ground how we can be missionaries. So the men of my church, we go, we buy the groceries, we pack this thing up full of two, two to three tons of groceries and food and flour and cornmeal and everything we can get into this thing, and we just haul off and go to, go to Ukraine. And I've taken five trips into Ukraine, and what we do is we, we take the van to local Baptist churches in the middle of Ukraine, and then they take, we drop it off with them, and those guys, during the week, they take the materials we dropped off to the front lines. And uh, the, this is when I overloaded the van uh, with about five tons of potatoes. Um, so if I'd have got stopped, uh, I'd have been in trouble. Uh, but there's also internally displaced refugees within, within Ukraine um, that are being taken care of by the churches within Ukraine. So they need food as well. So I get phone calls. I'm on one of my trips there and uh, dropping off food, and I get a call from another pastor halfway, real, real close to where the war's at, and he says, we're out of food for the winter. Can you bring me some potatoes? So I said, yep, next trip I'm bringing potatoes. So that's what the potatoes are all about. This is the orphanage where the, I brought the potatoes to. There's 10 orphans that live there. And then the pastor that's at this orphanage, he takes care of refugees all around there. The reason I do this twofold, one, because there's a need, uh, and I want to demonstrate to my church what missions is all about. 
The other reason is because there's a revival happening in Ukraine. So in spite of all the politics, there's a nice flat tire I got with. <laughs> in spite of all the, the politics and all the stuff, whatever, I don't care about all the politics of the war. Right, left, whoever's good, whoever's bad, I don't care about all that. What I care about is the fact that because of this war, there's an open door for the gospel. And I know right now if the Russians win this war, that door is closed. So whoever's spending all the money to keep that door open, I'm all for it. Just keep spending the money, throw the money at the war so that we can keep the door open for the gospel is how I look at it. I've got the opportunity to go over and over and, and share the gospel. Um, so uh, I go to Odessa. I'll tell you this real quick story. I go to Odessa a few months ago, back in January actually. And uh, there's a food line there when we get there of the guys that, with the church that we're working with. And they're handing out out of the back of the van hot loaves of bread. Each person gets one loaf of bread. And there's a line of people, thousands of people long. And it's the first time in my life where I literally, as we're handing out these loaves of bread, I'm looking, and we're going to run out of bread. I'm convinced we're going to run out of bread. And it's the first time in my life where I actually prayed, God, do a miracle. I mean, I mean, really, God, you got to do a miracle because there's thousands of people who are not going to get bread here. And for the first time in my life, I'm like, I think God did a miracle here because there was literally bread left over at the end of this thing. And thousands of people, there was, there was a picture a, a few moments ago where, where you saw the people lined up to get bread. Everybody got a loaf of bread. And, you know, I'm not a signs and wonder guy, but it was a miracle to me. Um, so God's doing amazing things there. And the missionary that I'm partnering with in, in uh, Odessa is telling me that because of the stuff we're bringing, they're able to go to the, the, the front lines and hand out this food and see people get saved every single time they hand out the food. People are getting saved. The churches are full in Ukraine. The churches aren't full in Romania. I know the churches aren't full here in America, but the churches are full in Ukraine. So that's why we're going there. So keep praying for that. I've got opportunities to go back again when I get back. We want to finish our house so we can get our church meeting in our house again. Um, so pray for that. Um, let me uh, wrap things up here. I want to let the slides keep going here. What Another part of the blessings we've been having is we've been doing outreaches. Um, a team from Midtown Baptist Temple came over in, in uh, April, and we did another Easter egg outreach. And God really blessed us. The mayor, the mayor of our town helps us with this or allows us to do this. And he comes out, and he's just impressed. This year, um, one of the events he... We did two events this year. We did a Children's Day event as well on June 1st where we had a children's carnival. And it was raining when he woke up that morning, when we woke up that morning. The mayor came up to me during the event. He said, you know, uh, I woke up this morning and it was raining. And he goes, but I know your God is always going to answer your prayers. And it stopped raining. So it was a good testimony of our mayor that he knows that we pray that for it not to rain. It didn't rain all day long. Um, there's the mayor right there. So... God is answering our prayers. We have hundreds of hundreds of kids show up for these events. There's Camellia sharing the gospel with the Easter egg. Um, it's it's pretty awesome what God's doing there. We've got here's here's my prayer. We do these amazing outreach events where we have hundreds of people show up with their with their kids, and we share the gospel multiple times during these events. But we've got no place to invite them to. So keep praying for us to find a place to meet. Because our town is a tourist town and the the economy is booming, all the prices have gone up. We, we can't afford any place to, to meet. We've got $85,000 raised to build, to build a building or buy a place to meet. Um, we just can't find anything that cheap. So keep praying. I know God's got a place for us. 
We just got to find it. Um, I want to share one other thing. Our church right now, I told you what happened in December with my dad's cancer. With We lost our house and a place to meet for our church. In the middle of all that, I had a little rebellion happen in our church. We had a, we had a, a we'll just say evil men and seducers crept into our church unawares and stirred up a little, uh, uh, yeah, rebellion. What do you want to say? Discord. Yeah, that's what I want to say. We had a, a sweet little couple that we thought was just loving the Lord and, and started sowing discord among our, our, our people and tried to turn our church into an apostolic church without us, know, without us knowing it. Um, luckily, our church members were discerning enough to realize what was going on, but it caused some real problems in our church because they sowed some bad doctrine secretly, not during church, just in private meetings among people. So we took several months of having to clean up that mess. But it's really caused some problems in our church as far as some people stopped coming to our church. So we, we're, we're going through a valley right now while I, we clean up this doctrinal mess. Uh, so we appreciate your prayers as we've had some spiritual attacks this year, is what I'm trying to say. So a lot of attacks since January. I've been trying to encourage my, my members uh, as we meet in different homes that even though we're in a down valley, for me, when you're in a valley, there's a mountaintop that we're going to get back to. And we're gonna we're gonna see victory, and uh, I'm excited for what God's gonna do in our church over the next year and then and in the future because we want to be a church that's reaching the nations for Christ. And I think when you're doing something for Christ, you're when you're over the target, you're gonna take flack, right? You're gonna get shot at. And I think God's getting ready to do something great for us in, in Richnov. We're gonna reach the world for Christ. And uh, please pray for us, our church in Transylvania. Uh, we need your prayers. So God bless you guys, and thank you for praying for us. Thanks, Doug. And uh, I really appreciate him being so transparent. I wasn't sure if you were going to share the part about the discord. So uh, that's a guys that'll take the wind out of your sails spiritually. Uh, And so uh, just be praying. I pray if you want to help with the prayer effort. uh, I know we have, uh, by the way, if you're just kind of wandering in the building, we're getting ready for VBS. I don't know if you notice that. Uh, This is not our normal decor. Sorry to disappoint if you're really grooving on it. But uh, if you really like it, you can be here every week, every day this week, and you can see it and uh, engage in, in the ambiance of VBS. It'll be a good time. Um, but uh, I, I just wanted to, to uh, say today, after church, there's a VBS meeting, um, but there's also a prayer meeting. There's actually a few prayer meetings as well. We'll be having a prayer meeting with the Howies over in the Warriors classroom. Uh, and so after the VBS meeting, if you want to hop in, uh, we're not going to take a long time. Doug's going to share his heart. Community's going to share their heart. And then we'll have a brief season of prayer. But we need to be praying specifically that God gets them a building. Uh, you just heard him say his goal, because it's the next step, is just get back in the house, right? So they need they need a, a better place to meet, um, and their house will be that. But they really need a building, because uh, in that culture, uh, it really, even in our culture, um, that's a better situation for a church, but even more so in a place like Romania. So appreciate that. Also, I'd have, I'd, he just kind of set us up. In a couple weeks, um, missionary Derek Thomas, um, not to be conflated with the former football player, will be here, uh, and his ministry is specifically uh, to Ukraine as well. So God is telling Heartland to focus on that. And I and I do pray that in the in the within the next you know year or so we are able to get on the ground uh, in Romania. So if you're interested in in maybe a trip to Romania, be praying about that opportunity. I know Doug will have us, 
Uh, but it does need to be the right thing at the right time. And I don't want to just waste his time and effort. So we'll be praying about how God would have us partner in that way as well. So uh, thanks, Doug. We love you guys. Appreciate you. And uh, you and Camilla, really. Guys, these people are paying the price, you know, and where their spiritual attraction, uh, Lord, the Lord uh, allows friction. And so they're going through the friction. It's a difficult situation, but God's sustaining them. But we, they really need our prayers. Uh, so those days when nobody's around and it's dark and, and, it's, and, the, and the spiritual oppression is setting in on them, it's the prayers of the saints that will just pick them up and lift them and keep them going and putting the next foot in front of the other as they accomplish the mission of God and the power of God for the glory of God. All right, if you have your Bibles, we turn to the book of Exodus chapter 10. We're, gonna, we're in Exodus chapter 10 this morning, Exodus chapter 10. We're going to be in verses uh, 21 through 29. If you're just joining us, we're in a sermon series called Getting Out of Egypt. Egypt in the Bible is a type of the world, and we all need to get out of here. Eventually we will, one way or the other. And so by God's grace, uh, we're born again, and we'll get out of here in the rapture of the church. Or uh, if the Lord takes us uh, physically, we'll be absent from the body and present with the Lord. But uh, we've been walking through this, what is boiling down to a war for worship. And it's a war between uh, Pharaoh and a war between Moses and the children of God. And if, you know, most of us are familiar with this story, uh, as you've all probably seen Charlton Hessen portray it in the movies, uh, Cecil B. DeMille and all of that. So we're, we've made our way to the, to the ninth plague. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one from the seat rack in front of you if you're a guest and you got one in that, in that gift bag. Uh, we should be on page 97, page 97, and uh, and you can be turning there. Um, there's a lot of neat things happening uh, here. As you're turning there, I just I just remembered that we need to, I want to congratulate, they're not here probably, but the Crawfords and, and the Ingalls. I mean, this weekend, we like had two babies born. I mean, just bam, bam. So praise the Lord. New life, uh, not just uh, we want new life spiritually, but it's neat to see uh, new life uh, physically as well. So we saw the birth of Jocelyn and Melissa Crawford and Elsie um, uh, Rose Engel. So uh, when you see those folks, congratulate them. Uh, and I know there's more on the way, right? So uh, just segue for Mitch. We could use help over here watching the little ones. The little ones are actually where our need is now. So if you're interested in helping the kids, please do that. All right, so back on track here. So um, And so we got a lot going on this morning. So last Sunday, we finished our lesson from Locus. Uh, Locus and now we're going to move to this ninth plague, the final plague before the Passover. And this is the tenth sign given uh, as the first sign was given in the court of Pharaoh. So even though it's the ninth plague, it's like the tenth sign that's given to uh, both the Jews and to Pharaoh. Uh, and so the plague of darkness that descends upon Egypt comes without warning. As Pharaoh confesses his sin against the Lord and against Moses, you might think, oh, man, this is going the right way. Uh, but God knows the heart, and it's really not going the way it really could have went. If Pharaoh, I believe to this day, even at that eighth plague, if Pharaoh would have been sincere in his heart, uh, God would have blessed Egypt. If they'd have just capitulated and let Israel go with their blessing, God would have blessed. That's a promise to Abraham. He could have got in on that Abrahamic uh, covenant promise and said, you know what? Okay, Pharaoh, you bless my people. I'll bless you. I'll pull back the plagues. I'll restore what the locusts have eaten and everything will be fine. But of course, we know God knows the heart and Pharaoh's heart was hard and he wasn't sincere uh, in what he was saying. In Exodus chapter 10 and verse 16, where we were last week, uh, we see that passage where Pharaoh says, he calls for Moses and Aaron in haste, and he said, I have sinned against the Lord, your God, and against you. And he, and it's like, wow, he's being transparent, he's being honest. Now therefore, forgive, I pray thee, my sin, only this once, and entreat the Lord your God 
that he may take away from me this death only. And we see that Pharaoh was really more concerned about getting out of his circumstances than obeying the Lord. And of course, in God's grace and mercy, Moses prays and God does remove those locusts all the way into the Red Sea. And there wasn't one locust left. However, Pharaoh, uh, he just wanted relief from his consequences. He, he was not sincere in his promise to free the children of Israel as he reveals, uh, as, it, as revealed in the text this morning. So if you have your Bibles, let's look here at Exodus chapter 10. Exodus chapter 10, we're going to finish off the balance of this chapter as we read in verse 21. It says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even darkness which may be felt. And Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They saw not one another, neither rose any from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Verse 24. And Pharaoh called unto Moses and said, Go ye, serve the Lord, only let your flocks and your herds be stayed, let your little ones also go with you. And Moses said, must, <clears throat> Thou must give us also sacrifices and burnt offerings, that we may sacrifice unto the Lord our God. Our cattle also shall go with us. There shall not an hoof be left behind, for <clears throat> there must we take to serve the Lord our God. And we know not with what we must serve the Lord until we come thither. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. And Pharaoh said unto him, Get thee from me, take heed to thyself, see my face no more, for in that day thou seest my face, thou shalt die. And Moses said, Thou hast spoke well, I will see thy face again no more. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the opportunity to read and hear your word. We stand here and sit here before you, uh, thanking you for Jesus Christ, thanking you for the love of Christ, Lord. We thank you for the, the promises of your word. And Lord, I pray, God, that we would have sincere hearts. We wouldn't be like Pharaoh, who is unrepentant, uh, saying the right words, but not having the proper heart. Oh, Heavenly Father, at the end of the day, that is what you have done. You have given your heart. You've given your son on the cross. You have given your sacrifice for sin. You have shed your blood. You have risen again. And you have offered us a, a, a gift that is offered to the heart. For with the, the mouth man makes confession, but with the heart is where the salvation occurs, Lord. And we are so thankful for that gift of eternal life. I pray, God, that, uh, Lord, we would just come to you this morning and learn from your word. Open up your word to us. Help us to see the things that you have for us in this passage as these that dwell in darkness needed the light of the Lord. We thank you and we praise you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we see that for all the words in Exodus chapter 10, verses 16 through 17, Pharaoh was, was basically a leper who had not changed his spots uh, since the very beginning. And God had hardened his heart and used Pharaoh for his purposes as a vessel of dishonor. And if you've been here in the past, I've spent some time talking about all of that. So in this passage, in Exodus 10, 21 uh, through 23, we see that Egypt is shrouded in darkness for three full days. Uh, and this is a darkness that, that is felt. He says this is a darkness they can feel. This is an intense darkness, so intense the Egyptians were immobilized and unable to function in any way. And there's something about darkness, right? You know, as a child, uh, I was one of those kids that was scared of the dark. And I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I would lay odds. Uh, many of us were scared of the dark. There's just something about darkness when you don't know what's out there. And if you're not scared of the dark... Uh, it's like swimming in the ocean, right? I, you know, you get out there in the deep and you're like, what's below me? I don't know, you know? And, you know, you're in the middle of 
you know, some small lake, but you think there's a, like a whale or a shark down there, even though it's fresh water, you know. So you're just like, your imagination gets carried away in the darkness and all of that, that, that mystery and that mystique of what you don't know, uh, is paralyzing. But this is, this is on a whole nother level of darkness. This is a darkness you can feel. Uh, it's like one of those scary movies, you know, it makes you creepy crawly. It's, it's, it's an intense darkness. And this is where they were dwelling for three days. In the case of Pharaoh, he and his nation were dwelling in darkness, ultimately for the, re- the one reason, and that's because they refused to repent. Pharaoh just would not repent. That's why he was dwelling in darkness. And that is actually what happens. Dwelling in darkness results when we refuse to repent. So in your notes, dwelling in darkness results when we refuse to repent. I just said that. That's right. So that's the point. Repetition is the price of learning. You know, when we won't repent, you know, darkness sets in. The danger of willing disobedience is dwelling in darkness. This is a willing disobedience. This isn't just like, oh, I, I was, I was thought I was driving 55 and now I'm driving 85 and I just didn't know because I got a lead foot and it's heavy. Okay, then I'll back off. This is, this is knowing, this is a trespass. This is seeing the sign saying stop and then saying, you know what, I'm going to go anyway. It's running the red light. It's, it's just completely disobeying God. Pharaoh was snared by his own words. In Matthew chapter 12 and verse 35, the Bible says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Well, that should, that should put us all in a certain amount of fear. Verse 37 of that, verse, of that passage says, for, for by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. So Pharaoh says, hey, I, I, I have sinned, and I am sorry, I've, I've done all this, but he's really not, right? He's not sincere in his heart. He, he just wants his consequences to stop, and the words out of our mouth reveal the treasure that is in our heart. <clears throat> it is not that Pharaoh said anything wrong. In fact, God responded to his words to bring the locusts to an end, the plague to an end, and, and to drive them off into the Red Sea and to clean up the mess that God allowed to be made. I mean, God was very, uh, very good to his word, right? He interceded, and, and uh, Moses interceded, and God uh, took care of business at the, request of Moses, at the request of Pharaoh. He knew that his words were the right words to say, but his actions didn't follow, did they? There wasn't a change of life. In Matthew chapter 12 and verse 34, Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, just before that passage I read a moment ago, he said, O generation of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And we know that the Pharisees said a lot of the right things, but yet when confronted with Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world, they rejected the light and are in darkness till this day. We have that section of prophecy in the book of Romans, right? Romans 9 through 11 that speaks to what God will do with the nation of Israel. But right now they are blinded, right? They're in darkness because when the light was shown to them, they rejected the light. They held, hold on to the law. They'll hold on to the Torah. They'll hold on to the promises of God. They'll even speak the promises of God, but their heart would not receive the fulfillment of that, who is Jesus Christ. So when Pharaoh was speaking, he was speaking a lie, 
And God knows who's lying and who isn't because he alone knows the heart of man. And we know that from 1 Samuel 16 and verse 7 as, as God is selecting a king for, for the nation of Israel. Samuel himself would have selected someone else he didn't even know. But God gave that famous passage, uh, that response to, to Samuel in verse 7 of chapter 16 of 1 Samuel. He says, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. You know, that's the scary thing. All we can actually work with is what people say. If someone says, hey, Brian, I've trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I'm like, okay, I'll believe you. I'm not going to, like, get you on the ground, put your arm behind your back, do waterboarding, you know. Are you really saved, you know? Hey, man, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, the Bible says you're saved. But I do believe this. If you really are saved, the first act of obedience will be, well, follow the Lord and believers' baptism. Just do that next right thing, right? And obedience will follow because you have a Father in heaven. But at the end of the day... God is the one who looks at the heart. Even in this room today, I don't know who's saved and who's not. I believe I know who's saved because people tell me they're saved and some people have fruit in their life. So I I would have every reason to believe that. But ultimately, at the end of the day, the person who really knows who's saved and who's not is who? It's Jesus. He either dwells in you. He's either sealed your soul to the day of redemption. he 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 has come into your heart and saved you. Or he hasn't. Because there wasn't sincerity uh, in, the, in the call upon the name to be saved. Now, in John seven twenty four, the Bible says, Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Uh, you know, this is the thing. Pharaoh was not sincere. And you could tell by his actions. He would say one thing and do another. We call that hypocrisy, right? He was a hypocrite. Oh, forgive me this once. Oh, forgive me. I have sinned. And yet... You can't leave Egypt. You can't leave Egypt. I'm not going to let that happen. Now, of course, some of our friends would say, "Yeah, but God hardened his heart. It's all God's fault." But we know this is the fourth time that God has hardened his heart. Four other times he hardened his own heart, right? And so God's just fifty-fifty. And again, just for those that are new, before this whole endeavor started, I believe God would have been just to take Pharaoh and cast him in the lake of fire for all of eternity, just for the the sin and unrepentant nature he had in dealing with people prior to this. So God is just. Don't, don't, don't sit in God's place. God knows how to judge. And, and that's why we, rest, we don't want to wrest judgment from God. We don't want to take his judgment. We let God be true, the Bible says, and every man a liar. God's word is true. So Pharaoh knew to do good, but he chose not to do it. And so that's accounted as sin. In James 4.17, the Bible says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Man, I tell you what, as I was preparing this message, that really re- resonated with me. I like I couldn't get started. There was something I needed to do. And I was like, I need to do this. It was a sin of omission, not a sin of commission. And I was like, Lord, I got to get this right. I can't even prep this message because God said, Brian, you cannot preach this until you make this right. I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'll tell Amy later. But anyway, <clears throat> but I do need to tell you that. It's like, man, uh, there's some things when you know to do good and don't do it, what is it? Sin. Now, that's different, like, because we live in this age of guilt, like, where you just don't feel right. Oh, you know, you had too much Internet going on or something. You're just messed up emotionally uh, because you, you, you haven't let your brain rest, whatever the case may be. I'm not talking about this overwhelming sense of cloud, this guilt, depression business that's going on. I'm talking about specific sin. 
When God says, you need to obey me here, maybe it is believer's baptism. Maybe it's a call to get saved. Maybe it's, I need to be a missionary. God's calling me to the... To go to the next step, I need to get an HBI, I need to get in D2, I need to, whatever it is, there's something specific that is in the will of God that's God's will, and you know that you need to do it, or you need to quit doing it, whatever it may be. Maybe it's something you need to stop doing. And God says, hey, I'm talking about this, and he won't let it go. I tell you, don't just keep going like Pharaoh. Oh, I'll deal with it later. I'll deal with it later. I'll do it. No, deal with it today. Right? You don't want to be Pharaoh. You don't want to have a hard heart. You don't want to become that person that God says, okay, you won't be a vessel of honor. I will just use you as a vessel of dishonor. Right? I wanted to put you in the kitchen. I wanted you to be a drinking glass, but I guess I'll go put you in the restroom and you'll be a toilet. You know? And so whichever vessel you want to be, right? what do you want to do with your life? You know, It's up to you. You choose if you will obey or not obey. And so Pharaoh, of course, we know what he is. He's a, he's a vessel fit for destruction uh, because he will not submit to the Lord. But James tells us, therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So when Lucifer in Isaiah 14 fell, you know what happened? I will, I will, I will, right? He was a light-bearing creature, anointed cherub that covered the throne. We talked about that a few weeks ago. But what I didn't get to is what happened when he fell. When he fell... Things went into darkness. If I could, you know, if I was could be real dramatic, I'd just say, "Drop the lights," you know. But I'm not going to be theatric about it. That'd have been a good one, though, right there. Anyway, I did think about that, but you're imagining it. So he says, "I will, I will, I will." You know, the the whole thing at five I wills, and then we know there's a rebellion in heaven. In Genesis 1, 1 and 1, 2, it says, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And then the next verse, the earth was without form and void, and darkness, first mention of darkness, was upon the face of the deep. There's darkness because he rebelled. He rebelled against God. And, of course, immediately the Spirit of God began moving upon the waters, and that regenerative work began. We don't get past the second verse of Scripture before we see darkness added to the creation account. But we know that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Where did that darkness come from? It came from rebellion. Lucifer knew to do good. He simply did not want to do it, and it resulted in darkness coming upon the face of the deep. And, beloved, I've touched on this one other time a few weeks ago. I'm going to do it again because it's in the text of Romans chapter 1. The application is so easy to pick off the tree. It's, it's right here where we can get a hold of it. Romans 1 tells us in verse 21 that we live in a time when people, they reject the truth and, and, and they glory in sin. And if you do that long enough, God will simply give you over to the darkness that's already in your heart and mind. Romans 1.21 says, Because that when they knew God, these aren't people that don't know, but when they knew God, When they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Like they knew who he was, they they, they knew who he was, but they didn't glorify him as God, and neither were they thankful. They were not full of gratitude. But they became vain, empty in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened, a dark heart. Have you ever had a dark heart? I have. Yeah. I've had a dark heart. 
When I got, that's why, that's why one of the reasons when you call upon the name of the Lord, you're inviting the light into the dark heart when you got saved. I mean, it's, it's important that we understand these things. There's a lot of folks walking around with dark hearts. Professing themselves to be wise, they, they become fools. And they change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. Begin to worship men and birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uh, uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worship and serve the creature more than the creator. It was blessed forever. Amen. Now, because of this, right, so be it, the Bible says in verse 25, for this cause, God gave them up to vile affections. He said, okay, if you want to continue on that path, I'll let you go. <clears throat> For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lusts one toward another. Men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves the recompense of their error, which was meat. They ended up getting what they were after which was just because the judgment had already set in. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, whispers like those that were in Doug's church, Backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable and merciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. These are those that know that what God would have and then continue on through it. And the judgment begins even before they die and go to hell. Long before Romans 1, we see Pharaoh knew the judgment of God, but continuing his prideful and stiff-necked rebellion. <clears throat> and here's the application. You see, it's easy. Oh, it's so easy to pick on Lucifer and uh, Pharaoh and perverts. Uh, but we also need to be humble in our application of this passage. I mentioned last week, woe unto us, right? Judgment begins where? The house of God. Chapter 2, you go on over there, it makes it clear that those who have the truth, oh man, they can fall prey to being just like those Pharisees. We can be just like the Pharisees and not have a humble heart. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Knowing our Bibles is not enough. It's not. Now, we're all about the Bibles. I'm glad the kids in, man, Camellia's doing a great job teaching those kids in Rashav and Rashnav. Rashnav. How do you say that? Rashnav? Close enough. They're like, whatever. <clears throat> teaching the Bible, right? We got VBS going on. Teaching the Bible. Teaching the Bible. We should definitely teach the Bible. I'm not against that. I'm all for that. But we got to do the Bible. Right. It's not just, oh, yeah, I like what Doug was saying. He's like, hey, look, I don't want to just talk about missions. I want to 
be an example of missions. I'm not just teaching about Acts 1-8. I'm not just teaching about Matthew chapter 28. I'm, I'm actually saying, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. Right? So, so, yes, we should certainly, you must know the Bible, but we also must obey the Bible. Right there in each and every one of our lives, no matter I've been saved for a long time now, 30 plus years. And and there's still things that God says, Brian, this is what the Bible says. This is what I need you to do. And they're not like like, you know, not like do 100 jumping jacks and 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 35 pull up stuff. I mean, sometimes it's this little stuff like clean up your room, you know, pick this up off the floor. It's just the basics. And God says, hey, don't forsake the fundamentals. It's all about blocking and tackling in the spiritual life or whatever sport you're you're into shooting and dribbling kicking and whatever if you're so- what's soccer sam what would soccer be passing and shooting i don't know dribbling passing whatever pick your sport isn't it always the fundamentals it's the basics you want to have a successful marriage what is it well spend millions of dollars on your spouse no you'll go into debt then you'll you know, that's gonna, you're gonna be in trouble. You'll have to be fighting over money. No, it's the fundamentals. It's the basics. Just do the basics. And God will bless. The danger of willing disobedience is knowing God is not obligated to reveal His light to you once you've willingly chosen darkness. I want that to sink in. The danger of being willingly disobedient is knowing that God is not obligated to reveal his light to you once you've willingly chosen darkness. Now, he often is super gracious and gives us multiple opportunities because his hand is not short that it cannot save, because God is gracious and merciful and kind. In the children's classroom this morning, we're talking about the difference between Nineveh and, and Nahum and, and those, in the different ways that God is so gracious and people respond or they don't respond to the, the word of God. The, at the end of the day, man, it's so important that we understand that God is not obligated to us. We are obligated to him. We're obligated to his word because he is so good. It is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. It's not a strong arm. God saying you got to do this. You got to do that. Actually, if you want judgment bad enough, you can have it. But God doesn't want that for you any more than you want it for your children. Right. I don't want that for my kids. You don't want it for your kids. But we know if a child is rebellious long enough, they'll get what they're asking for. It's like when you're a kid, right? You want a knuckle sandwich bad enough? Keep running that trap and you'll get one, right? <laughs> so, I mean, it just it's called the law of sowing and reaping. It's the law of sowing and reaping. And you know what? We've got to have a little honey let the medicine go down because it's true. We reject the light long enough. God's not obligated to continue uh, to keep us out of the darkness. Dwelling in darkness, point B is... Dwelling in darkness is also a result of being ignorant of the gospel for those who are lost, right? So there, there's a legitimate reason for us to walk in the light, and it's not for our own benefit. It's for the benefit of others. <clears throat> Before we received the light of Christ, we all walked in darkness. It is possible to be sitting under the lights this morning and still be in darkness in your heart. Ephesians 4.17 says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity, right, the emptiness of their mind, having their understanding, having the understanding, I should say, darkened, being alienated from the life of God, which uh, through the ignorance that is in them. 
There's an ignorance, just not knowing. Because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto, unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. They're going hard after their flesh. Why? Because they are ignorant. They don't know what God would have them to do. The scripture says Satan is actively working to blind the minds of those who don't believe. In 2 Corinthians 4, the Bible says, But if our gospel be hid, right, hidden, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest, right, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So the glorious gospel of Christ is, is, is what does it do? It reveals Jesus Christ. He is the light. He is the light. He is the light that people need in their life. That's why we invite Christ into our heart. We bring the light into the darkness. And it's connected to the mind. That passage tells us there in 2 Corinthians 4. That there's actively a force of darkness working against the mind of men to keep them in darkness. But for those of us that are saved, we have the light of God's word. We have Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. His name is the word of God. We've got a Bible that's the word of God. We have the words of God that we preach, that we speak. As we go out to, you know, uh, uh, what was that? Not church in the park. It was uh, spark in the park. Right? What were we doing? We're sharing the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. So hopefully we'll find its way into the hearts of men that are lost, that are ignorant, that don't know any different. Because when you're lost, you just do what lost people do and you go hard after darkness. You just do it. Dogs do what dogs do. You can't sit back and judge the dog for being a dog. Dogs are dogs. That's why they need to be changed from the inside out. But if you're a Christian, Ephesians is telling you, quit acting like a dog. Because you've been quickened. You're dead. And your life is now... Your life is hid in Christ. You're alive. You've been renewed. You've been brought to life. You've been, you've been turned into a light-bearing vessel. And you've been given a message of light. You've been given words of light. You've been given a life of light. You are here to light it up like the children of Israel in Goshen, man. The only place you could find light was in the houses in which they dwelt. Point C. Let's look at the dynamics of the darkness before we jump into the light. Again, this, this could be felt. It could be felt. This darkness could be felt. This is the only this is only the second mention of the word felt in the Bible. The word is only mentioned five times in total. And the word feel, by the way, is only mentioned seven times. Isn't that crazy? How in our culture the the word felt and feel I mean we are all about how we feel and this and that. Like the word's not even hardly mentioned in the Bible. It's crazy. The first mention is dealing with Isaac's deception in Genesis twenty seven, twenty two when when he was blind, right, and, and he was feeling for Esau, and he found Jacob. He felt that. So the first mention of felt, someone's being deceived. That's why you can't trust your feelings. I just heard a, a, pre- a preacher just recently talking about how you got to, you know, you can't serve the Lord unless your feelings are right. <laughs> I'm like, man, if that's the case, I better check out of here. No, you need to serve the Lord no matter how you feel. He will bring the right feelings. But start with the facts of God's word. Let your mind be focused on things above and your affections on things above. He'll bring those feelings when we have the right facts. The first mention is dealing with with deception. The second mention is here in Egypt, dealing with Egypt's judgment. The third mention is Proverbs 23, 35, a passage that deals with a drunkard. He's, He's beaten up in his drunkenness, and the Bible says he doesn't even feel it. 
He, he, he didn't feel it. It wasn't felt. And then he wakes up and he does it again. He doesn't really recognize the damage that's going on, not only to others but himself, as he is given over to that, to that wine uh, and to that strong drink. The fourth mention is found in Mark 5.29 when the woman with an issue of blood, you know what she did? She felt the hem of Jesus' garment. He said, who touched me? That's, that's, uh, that woman was healed because she got a hold of the light. The fifth mention in the last is found in Acts 28.5. has to do with God's power over death. Paul was on the Isle of, of uh, Malta after sh- being shipwrecked, and a venomous viper took hold of his arm. I got a little bruise right here. True story. I got a, My little dog took hold of my arm the other day. He about lost his life. So, but anyway... Uh, <clears throat> This, this viper, this viper took a hold of his arm, and 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 it's like it's it's a venomous viper, and everyone on the island Malta knows it. They're like, oh, he's a sinner above all others. He's got a the, the God is judging him because he just got bit by a poisonous snake. And Paul's like, hmm, gets it over the fire, you know, and whoop, thing drops off, and he's good as gold, no problem. Then they're like, oh, whoa, you know, the, you know, it says there in that passage. Paul didn't feel it. It didn't. It didn't. Didn't affect him. God was taking care of him. He felt. The Bible says no harm. He felt no harm with that incident. Isn't it interesting when you get to the New Testament and the word felt comes around? It's dealing with Jesus' power over sin and death. It has healing and protection. Beloved, we live in a world today that needs both. Man, we need healing and protection. The Old Testament isn't going to do it for you. You need the one who fulfilled the Old Testament. It is our schoolmaster that leads us unto who? Christ. And Christ is the one who keeps us from the venomous bite of Satan. And he is the one that protects us and keeps us and, and makes us whole. That, that darkness was also thick. The Word of God described the darkness as thick darkness. This means it's very, very dark. Pitch black. Like you're in the bowels of a cave. One time I was down at Bridal Cave. Anybody ever go to Bridal Cave? Right? They take you down in the bowels of that cave, and you're like, you can't literally. You're like, you're even when you're down there, and your pupils are, you know, this big, and you're trying to get every bit of light in. You can't, can't do it. Your hands right here, you, you don't see nothing. You don't sense it. It's thick darkness. And you know what they do? They just take out a little lighter and they go, beep, and it's like the whole cavern lights up. Just a little light overcomes that darkness. This was thick darkness. <clears throat> It's interesting. This is the first mention of the phrase thick darkness in Scripture. The other six mentions have to do with God's holiness or God's judgment, and they are all found in the Old Testament. It's worth noting that darkness will accompany the sixth seal of Revelation 6.12 as the sun goes dark and the moon becomes blood red. In Revelation 6.12, the Bible says, And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was great, a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. The result of, the, of this judgment and the subsequent earthquake and the signs in heaven will cause all men of the earth to fear and seek refuge from the Lord's wrath in the caves and the rocks of the earth. Is this very passage in Revelation 6 that when I was a lost man, when I was in darkness, I was reading Revelation 6, not understanding really what it was saying. What, I didn't understand dispensations. I didn't understand all of those things. But I'm reading this passage, and you know what I identified with? I identified with men of the earth. Great men and servants and all men wanting to hide from the face of the wrath of him that was going to come and hide in the rocks and the caves 
And I was reading that passage and I'm like, that's me. I don't, I can't stand before a holy God. I can't stand in front of the light because I knew in my heart I was dark. That was when I finally got serious about understanding that I was a sinner. That little verse, for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. I heard that before. But it wasn't until I read Revelation 6 and I saw that darkness. Not just the darkness that is associated with the sun being shrouded and and the earth going dark, but the darkness of those men's hearts that couldn't stand before a holy God. And I was like, I'm afraid that's me. As I read this story and I read my name into it, I'm, I'm that person. I'm one of those people. And man, it was the next day. The next day God was gracious. And he presented the truth to me one more time. And beloved, I knew that day was the day of salvation. I was afraid that if I rejected the truth one more time, God had already showed me in his word, Brian, you will be that man. But you know the good news is, when I read the Bible, I'm not that man anymore. I'm like a whole bunch of others, man. When I read the Bible, I'm a whole bunch of others. I'm, I'm, my name is Christian. I got a new identity. My identity is now in Christ, and I follow him. So he's totally changed my identity. He took me out of that story through the power of his blood. Because when he hung on the cross, doors went dark. And all of my sin, my darkness was placed on him. Not for three days, but for three hours. And he atoned for my sin on the cross. My thick darkness. It also did. It lasted three days which is the number of days Israel was to journey into the wilderness to worship in Exodus 3.18, Exodus 5.3, Exodus 8.27. Later on, we'll get in the Passover, and we'll see in verse uh, chapter 15 and verse 22, Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out in the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Three days was the number of days Jesus was preaching to the captives before being resurrected. On the third day, Acts 10.40 says, Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly. Three days of darkness. Three days Jesus rose again. It'll be three millennial days that that same resurrection that occurred almost 2,000 years ago will come to an end. And you know what? The dead, small and great, will be taken up and cast into the lake of fire. And the darkness will be put behind us and it will all be glory as we go into eternity future. And God has these three days all lined out for us. The Egyptians, point four, were immobilized by this darkness while the children of Israel were illuminated. Isn't that wonderful? When you go down to verse 23, it says, They saw not one another, neither rose any from from his place for three days, but all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. You know what? While the world was in darkness, while Egypt was in darkness, God's people were in light. Now, what does this mean? I mean, what's really going on historically? Well, we know that Ra was the, was the sun god, and that's who the Egyptians worshipped. And actually, Pharaoh was to be the son, the offspring of Ra. So his daddy was getting a beating. So was Horus and the whole pantheon of gods that would travel under the, under the earth in that boat and try to destroy the, the darkness, that serpent that we talked about many, many weeks back. What's going on for three days is, is they're really learning that the Lord, the God of Moses, the Lord of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is the God that is the God above all gods. And he has defeated Ra, the sun god. The Egyptians believed that they controlled the sun and thereby life on earth. But they were arrested 
by the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those children had light, and they continued in darkness. The Lord revealed his favor in a tangible way as the dwellings of the children of Israel were illuminated while everyone else was in darkness. What a beautiful picture of our stewardship of the Holy Ghost, the Word of God, and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our bodies themselves being the temple of the Holy Ghost. The Lord Jesus Christ living in us and us having the opportunity right now in a time of darkness to illuminate a dark and dying world. You know, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 26 says this, Even the mystery which hath been hid from the ages, from generations, but now was made manifest to his saints. Saints are anyone who is set apart, who is born again for God's glory, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The light that we need, the light that this world needs, we already have. If you're a Christian, you have the light. It is Jesus Christ. He is the light of the world. You know, in Philippians chapter 2, our mission, our vision here at HBF is to be a church that continues to manifest the light to a, uh, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. That is the mission that God has given us. We're like a city on a hill, and our light shines as it should be cutting through the darkness of, <clears throat> and taking the immobilized sinner and quickening them and bringing them to life. All one has to do to be in the light is receive Jesus Christ, the light of the world, and he will take up residence in your body, and the, as the light of Christ will shine brighter and brighter and brighter. Is the light of Christ having more liberty in your life or less? I mean, you can be saved, but are we following the Lord? Or are, are, we putting a, are we putting dampers on what God wants to do in our life? Are we getting out by faith and allowing God to use us so that he can bless his name, bless his word? Dwelling in darkness results when we refuse to repent. Maybe there's something we're not willing to repent of, and it's causing the light to be hindered in a dark and dying world. This thing's in play, beloved, and we've got to be about the business of getting the light where it needs to go. Point two, and this will go quick. Dwelling in darkness results when we deal deceitfully with God's people. Don't do that. Pharaoh's words are right, but his heart is wrong. We saw that in Exodus 10. 24 through 25, Pharaoh had no intention of letting uh, <clears throat> Israel go. He wanted to take their cattle, restore their losses so the people could eat, uh, his people could eat and then get strong enough to destroy Moses and his people while they were weak and without resources. Nothing has changed in his heart since the water was turned to blood. Even, even being tormented by darkness could not keep Pharaoh from wanting to control the outcome of this standoff with God. He wouldn't, he wouldn't do anything to, to submit and kept asking for compromise after compromise of Moses. Pharaoh is a clear type of Satan. He, if he can't have your soul, if he can't have your children's soul, then he'll try to take your property and any means of livelihood he can. Point B, Moses resists the last call to compromise. You know, Exodus ten twenty six. this is the last compromise that's offered. Our cattle also shall go with us, he says, and I like how he says, not a hoof, not a hoof will be left behind. I mean, he's from Cass County. He's like, not even a hoof, man. Don't even mess with it. It's not going. For therefore must we uh, take to serve the Lord our God, and we know not with what we must serve the Lord until he come thither. So this is the fourth and fi- final call to compromise. We saw last week that Pharaoh uh, was called to compromise uh, in Exodus eight twenty-five through 27. He says, hey, you know what? You can just worship here. Just worship here. Don't worry about leaving. Moses is like, no. He says, well, okay, well, then just don't go that far in, in, in verse uh, chapter 8, and verse 28. Just don't go too far. 
Right? We talked about that. Don't go too far with this Jesus business. And then the third compromise was chapter 10, verse 7 through 11, when he says, okay, okay, well, I'll tell you what. It's dangerous out there. You go ahead and go, you and your men, but you leave your family with me. Moses is like, not having it? Nope. And this is the last one. Hey, you know what, Moses? You just go ahead. You and your families go, but you, you just leave the cattle with me. He says, no, not one hoof, pal. But there's a reason for that. And it's found in verse 25. Moses said, thou must give us also sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice unto the Lord our God. There's something revealed here in verse 25 about Moses' heart. It wasn't, hey, that's our cattle. That's what Gentiles do. That's mine. No, that's mine. Okay, let's go Dukesville, right? And then we go to war. Yeah, that's what Gentiles do throughout all of history. No, it's like, no, uh, Moses or Pharaoh's like, hey, I want that. And Moses says, well, it's not mine. Whose is it? It's the Lord's. I, I, I can't let you speak for what God is. God is already. We owe God sacrifices. That's why we're going out to worship. Have you not got the memo, Pharaoh? I mean, what is this whole conversation about? What have these nine plagues been about? He's right over his head. It's not about property. It's about worshiping God. And Moses, Pharaoh is still blind as a bat, and he cannot see that. He says, we got to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses places sacrifice and worship ahead of sustenance. They had to retain livestock for worship purposes. And, of course, they needed livestock to live off of. Moses was smart in that regard as well. So Moses will not give up what God has preserved. Beloved, I just got to throw a shout out. There's some things that God has given you to sustain you. One of those things is this book. Don't give up what God has preserved. Right? This is our source of worship. This is the sort this is what we this is how we know God. This is the mind of Christ. There are a thousand different trans um, well not a thousand, but there's a lot of English translations out there. But you know what? None of them are none of them match this book. I'm just telling you. This is the words of God. Don't give up on what God has preserved. It's a hard no. As the world grows darker, our resolve for sanctification also needs to grow deeper. There's nothing wrong with having possessions as long as you yield them to the Lord. Moses prioritized God's purposes for worship and preserved the blessings that God preserved for his people through those last nine plagues. Now, the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 6, this is New Testament, but godliness with contentment is great gain. We've got to have our priorities in order. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. You know what Paul is saying is that we need to do an evaluation of what things mean to us and make sure that we understand that you come into the world naked and you leave here naked. And the things that are important is the words of God and the souls of men and how you steward the light that God has given you. That's what's going to make difference in eternity. That's what's going to make a difference in the mansion that he has prepared for you, a place that he has prepared for you. What brings honor and glory to him is not collecting toys and entertaining ourselves There's nothing wrong with having things. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that what we do with what we have, we have to understand that it is God's first. How dare we take a paycheck from God and not give him the first fruits of the increase? I don't even understand that. And I'm thankful for my disciple. When I was a young Christian, baby Christian, 
he taught me the principle. You know, he taught me, he taught me this lesson. He says, Brian, this is how it was when I was willingly disobedient and not willing to give up what I had when I was in the Corvette club and had a good job, an engineering position, and God took my Corvette. Well, he didn't take the Corvette. God took my good job, and I had to go do a job like working at a public high school as a vocational instructor and drafting. I mean, that's the last thing I'd want to do. I mean, what a downgrade. Why did God do that? To humble him and teach him a lesson that he later taught me so I wouldn't make the same mistake. First fruits, first fruits, first fruits. I wasn't going to preach on that. That just kind of came, so someone must need to hear that. The contrast between Moses and Pharaoh could not be clearer. Pharaoh was deceitful in heart, and Moses was, he was pure in heart. Now, the Israelites, they were, they were dwelling in Egypt, but they were not dwelling in darkness. They, were, they were, had the light in them. And you know what? We live in a dark world, but we live in a, in, a, in a world that is illuminated with the love of Christ, with the joy of the Lord. It is our strength. Dwelling in darkness results when we refuse to repent, and dwelling in darkness results when we deal deceitfully with God's people. Don't do that. Thirdly and lastly, dwelling in darkness results when we choose death over life. As this wraps up, we see that the fourth and final time God hardened Pharaoh's heart in verse 27. We saw four times that <clears throat> times that Pharaoh's heart had already been hardened uh, when you include this. At, the, at length, the Lord gave Pharaoh the desires of his heart, and that was simply to fight against God. If you want to be a knucklehead, God reserves the right to allow you to be a knucklehead for his greater good. And for generations, everyone now knows that Pharaoh's a knucklehead. He has been inoculated to the truth because of the hardness of his heart. But I would lay odds if we could peel back the earth and look into the recesses of hell. Right now, Pharaoh would say, listen to the lesson of my life and don't fight against God. Because he alone is worthy of all glory, of all honor, and all praise. I think he's probably humble now. I don't know. I would hope. Pharaoh was a fool as he sat in judgment, as he was being judged. He didn't even realize this. He's telling Moses, I'm going to kill you if you come back. You're a dead man. God had already taken those locusts and taken them and blew them out into the Red Sea. And that's exactly where he was going to be buried. He was no better than an insect to God. He's just going to take care of him when the time was right. Exodus 10, 28, and Pharaoh said unto him, get thee from me. Take heed to thyself, see my face no more, for in the day that thou seest my face, thou shalt die. Because I'm still a Romans 13 guy, and I, I believe I got the power of the sword. Like Moses, you can't touch this. You know? And then the MC Hammer theme went off. But anyway, he could, he could not touch Moses unless God allowed it. At this point, Pharaoh's words had no weight, as everyone in Pharaoh's court knows the last thing that, that he would ever dare to do is lay a finger on Moses. It's already been bad. They're, they're about ready to grab, I bet they're probably ready to grab Pharaoh and say, no! They've already told him, can you quit bothering Moses? He's killing us here. You aren't going to touch him. Pharaoh's parting words were simply futile. They were, fu- they were, they were futile. They had no bearing on the outcomes. And Moses says, hey, listen, you got it half right. I'm not going to see your face anymore. You know, when I see that, I think, you know, in the conversation, we'll pick it up in chapter 11. There's more to this conversation as they continue. But 
God puts a period there and he ends it there as Moses concludes and says, you're right, Pharaoh. You're not going to see my face anymore. But you know what he's going to he's going to do? He's going to face off with, as we know, face off with Moses. He's going to go through the Red Sea. He's going to die and all of that. But you know what I know and you know, because we have the end of the story. It's like Paul Harvey. The end of the story puts us over in Revelation chapter 20. And the next time we see Pharaoh's face will be at the end of that millennial day when he's cast in the lake of fire. And beloved, that's why. That's why we we cool our jets and we don't get worked up over Pharaoh and we don't get worked up over the king and we don't get worked up over all these other things that go on in life, all the darkness that you see around us because at the end of the day, we know who wins. And our concern is simply this. Are we dwelling with the light or are are we longing for the darkness? Man, beloved, we're children of light. We cannot afford to waste our days acting like we're children of darkness when God has put the light in us. If there's something in our life that we know that we should be doing and we're not, or something we should not be doing but we're still doing, could we trust the Lord to give that to him in genuine repentance, not just mouthing the words but saying, Oh, God, help, I need you more than this, that, or the other thing, or I will obey you instead of doing what I want to do. It's not about I will do anything. That's what's going to bring darkness. God, what do you want me to do? Will we obey? I don't know. That's up to each and every one of us. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time in your word. I pray that we would learn the lessons as we look at this ninth plague and we see this darkness. Lord, I pray, God, that we would rejoice in the light that we have in Christ. And Lord, I pray, God, that we would be faithful to your words Lord, that we'd be like Moses and have a heart that understands what you're doing, what time it is, and and not get too rattled by all the threats and all the things that are out there. Help us to be focused on things above and not the things of this earth. Help us to be focused on having a heart to give back to you, as I know this church is doing, Lord, even with VBS and with all the things they're doing. This is a loving church. They love you. They love people. And so, Father, I rejoice in that, and I pray, God, this morning that you provide that protection, Lord, that you would provide that internal illumination in a dark world, Lord, that we would shine brighter and brighter as we wait for your return, Lord. I pray, God, that you would be glorified in all that we say or do. With heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around, as we sit here this morning, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to know him in a very personal way. Maybe for you, it's like for me, this is the day of salvation. I haven't been super crystal clear today on the gospel, but let me make it really, really clear. You see, what happened on the cross 2,000 years ago with Jesus was real. Jesus Christ is God. He was manifest of a woman, and he came into this world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. And no matter how dark or black your sin is, your sin is not worse than God's goodness and his light. Your darkness cannot outshine Cannot out black his light. Light overcomes darkness. And he came into this world and he gave himself as sacrifice for 